0: Dear fellow redeemed, we especially consider our gospel reading from the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sends out the 72. And as we begin, um, I'll probably start with the one thing I neglected to announce earlier this morning already, that I have decided to return the call to Cribbs, Wisconsin, and uh, to remain here at Resurrection um, and I'll have an announcement about the Alberta call next week. But that brings up some interesting questions, I suppose, for all of us. Because the first question is, you know, Pastor Hagen, the first question I received, Pastor Hagen, we're, we're the only church unless you drive, well, the only church with its own pastor, unless you drive about 40 minutes in any other highway that we have down to Finley or up to Monroe or um, up to Tecumseh. Um, And Pastor Hagen, we've had a lot of changes here in Toledo over the last couple of years. And then we get to our gospel reading. And Jesus sends out the 72, and this is what he said. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And the way that, that our system works is that the church, together under Christ, decides to extend a call to a pastor. And that's what happened when Resurrection called me a little over four years ago, and that the church, after a series of other calls where they had asked previous um, other pastors to, to serve here, um, the church reached out, out to me. Actually, Dave Sipes called me on a Wednesday morning and, uh, as I was finishing my coffee and asked me to come and, and serve here. And if you recall about four years ago, and I'm sure you've been through this system a few times before, um, it t- usually takes a period of weeks to learn a little bit about the church and the congregation and the needs of the congregation and, um, and the particular you know, talents or abilities that any pastor might bring to that congregation. And as time goes on, um, perhaps you've also re- recognized over the last you know, about five years that um, the pendulum has swung. When my brother graduated from our seminary in 2009, there were 12 men who were left unassigned. 12 men who had graduated, but we didn't have any churches for them. Two years later, when I graduated from seminary in 2011, we had 12 churches that didn't get a pastor. 12 churches that had requested a graduate, but did not receive a graduate. And um, and if you read the reports from our synod, they, they talk every now and then. Um, it's kind of front and center now because the call system, because of the call system that we have. But roughly 14 out of every 100 congregations doesn't have its own permanent pastor right now. And this is something that um, that we have been aware of, you know, as a synod. It's something that that Pastor John Hine talked about at our synod convention. Um, roughly three or four years ago. And Jesus' words are proven true again. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, so ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And he has a lot more instruction there, of course. But I would see, and I could understand, and it's one of the questions that I have received, well, Pastor Hagen, with so many needs here, why are we even considering the call to another congregation? And Pastor Hagen, isn't there some other way of doing this? That we don't have to go through a call system and, and ask a guy and then we hear back after like a month and then we ask another guy and it ends up being you know, 15 months, maybe 20 months before we get our own pastor. Isn't there some way to, to deal with this this shortage, so to speak? Isn't there some way around it? And I guess in answer to the first question, Pastor Hagen, it's obvious that we've had a lot of change here and and we need need a little bit of stability and maybe some continuity. um, At the same time, recognizing that when a congregation together... With their, with their vacancy pastor or district president, extends a call that that is just as valid and certain as if Jesus himself had extended that call. That is just as valid and certain as if Jesus himself, the Lord of the church, had provided the opportunity to consider continued service in one place or service in a new field of labor. And so even though, even though from, from most perspectives it might be a rather easy conclusion, At the same time, out of respect, when Jesus asks you to do something, you have to consider it and give it some thoughtful consideration. So then, this prayer that Jesus tells us to pray, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he goes on, I send you out as, as lambs and sheep among wolves. And I could see especially if you've been through this system, and especially if, if your church happens to be one of the vacant ones or you've experienced an extended vacancy or, um, or even a merger as kind of ministry shifts and changes over time, I could see somebody wondering, how exactly does Jesus carry out his work without us getting in the way? How does Jesus carry out his work of making sure that, that his word is shared and proclaimed, that people are ministered to, that comfort is brought when comfort is needed, and that even rebuke or discipline is brought when that is needed as well. Because this sounds like a fairly, fairly high and um, important task, that if we are to work together as a church and confess the same thing, we confess the reality that eternity extends far beyond what we have in this life and the ramifications of the faith we follow in this life or the faith that we reject in this life has an eternal benefit or detriment forever and the question is there anything more important when Jesus sends out workers to his harvest field and he says pray for this is there anything more important and i understand that when we consider that question we also see that you know there are needs in every avenue and area of life but the question that we are confronted with is what has more and more lasting value than an eternity with our lord and so in that with that in mind Our our church body, our synod has decided to go with this system of of calling pastors and providing the opportunity to consider service in a new area of labor and to have the proper perspective of sharing this word of life, not as like the CEO of an organization, but as like you know, the captain of a team, perhaps, if that, the shepherd of a flock. Where each one recognizes that we stand together under the blood of our Savior. And that we stand together holding the same word of life. That we have been made participants in the ministry that Jesus wants to carry out. And when he sent out 72, that is far more than the 12 that he had called and designated his apostles. When he sent out 72, just take a look around around this room. Um, It's a little bit more than we have in here right now groups of two to the villages and the towns and perhaps even to their own hometowns to talk about and say this Jesus is coming this Jesus is going to be coming soon and the kingdom of God has come near to you and he gave them some very specific instructions so that their own personal um, desires or their sinful flesh would not get in the way of that proclamation but Jesus's answer is that as he sends out these 72, he's really saying that each person has a, has a part to play, that each person is a, a full participant in the ministry of Jesus. It's true that, that you don't have the same sort of public call to preach and teach and administer the sacraments as your pastor does. That's what you have called me to do. But at the same time, that at your baptism, Jesus called you to follow him. And Jesus called you to this new life. And Jesus called you to participate in this ministry together. And what a joy. What a joy. And I suppose the question then is, how is it going? Talking about our congregational ministry work and participation in this ministry, as well as the specific part that you are uniquely gifted for, and the opportunities that you may uniquely have. How is it going? And I understand that sometimes it takes a little bit more, more um, specific instruction, that when we talk about participating in the ministry of Jesus... I'm not asking anybody or saying that you need to go knock on every door in your neighborhood. (laughs) If you want to, feel free. And I can give you a handout. (laughs) But what I am asking is to say that that you know people, even one person, that if Jesus were to return today, they would not be counted among the sheep of our Lord. That you know at least one person who needs the gentle encouragement, or maybe after a few um, attempts of a gentle encouragement, maybe a little bit stronger encouragement, to say, dear friend, I want to see you with my Lord and I want to spend eternity with you. That the Jesus we worship here is of greater value and promises greater blessing than anything and everything else in this life. And that that you have a specific relationship with these people, even even one person. Where they can hear what you're saying and hear that coming from a heart that cares about them. Not just a pastor who's, that's his job, and he's the guy to make sure that everybody's showing up to church. But that they'll hear it differently from you. Because Jesus sent out 72 not just 12. Not just the 12 that he had called, but he had had called and requested and, and told 72 to go. Which kind of brings us around to where we started. That in considering that call to Crivets and in the call to uh, our churches in Alberta, I mean, obviously I want to make sure that I do enough Due diligence to understand what they're asking for and to understand if I would be a good fit there or a a better fit there than the needs here. That in considering the call and knowing that you know roughly 14% of our congregations are without a pastor, it's really the, the greater question of what's our attitude about that. Because when Jesus told those 72, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, they could have thrown up their hands and said, oh, (laughs) there's so many people and so much work and so much effort and so much teaching and I'm not equipped and I don't know how to do it and I don't have the words and I don't have the teaching. They could have come up with so many reasons why it wasn't for them. And so many reasons why they didn't have to pay attention to it right now. And so many reasons why they could say, well, this is somebody else's duty and responsibility. So many reasons why Jesus says the harvest is plentiful and they say, well, if it's so plentiful, then what's the use? And where it comes to us is it's very easy for a wrong attitude to creep in an attitude that that says, oh no, like the sky is falling and, and our churches are all merging and people just don't go to church anymore. An attitude that says, um, I, wish we, I wish we had the opportunity, but we don't. An attitude that says, well, we tried that and it didn't work. It's so very easy for an attitude of, um, of hopelessness or just the idea of, We're going to be this one little church hanging on by your fingernails and the last person turn out the lights when you leave. It's very easy for an attitude like that to creep in. And if not within a congregation and infect a congregation, at the very least to creep into the Christian heart. And say, well, we had a pastor for three, four, five, 40 years. And look what happened. Well, (laughs) we don't have one now, as some churches have. Have experienced. And in the ideas that say, well, we, we put in the effort, we put in the time, and that didn't work, and that didn't work, and that didn't work. So I'm just going to say, you know, I've, I've devoted my time to the Lord, and it's enough. That I don't see where I fit, and really, I don't see what good it could accomplish. And isn't that the primary question? And concern because when that sort of attitude overtakes the heart the words of Jesus are pushed aside and the attitude starts to infect the mind and even spread among Christians as they chat with one another an attitude that says you know what I'm just gonna do my part and um, and we'll go from there there's nothing of that in the way Jesus talks There's nothing of that sort of attitude of hopelessness. In the way that Jesus talks, there's nothing of an attitude of of despair. No, when Jesus talks here, he says, you know what? I'm going to be going there and there and there and there. As he sends out the 72 in pairs, he's got an itinerary of 36 places that he wants to go. And when he sends them out, he sends them out with this powerful word where he promises to use that word to confront sin and create faith when and where it pleases him. He promises to use that word to prepare the way for the kingdom of God to come to even one more, for the ruling activity of Jesus to take spiritual hold of a person's heart and life. There's no sense of despair or optimism. He says, well, send the Lord of the harvest, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And he says, Go, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. Like, time out, Jesus. Did you understand what you just said? You want to send me out as a lamb among wolves? That usually doesn't end very well for the lamb. But he sends them with his word and with his promise. Now, dear Christian, you have in your heart and in your hand and in your mind, you have the truth that this world needs. You have the comfort that people seek. You have promises from your Lord that everything and everyone else in this world tries to promise. You understand that, right? That that in his word, Jesus promises peace and comfort and security and a future and that every other organization and every other blessing in this world tries to promise that. Look at the promises that um, the prospect of wealth promise. Well, you can have peace and se- peace of mind, and you can have security, and you can have a future, and you'll have nothing to worry about. But Jesus says that we still live in a world where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Money can't follow through. Even the, the promises of, um, of business or of technology or of our, our system of government to say that that they will provide peace of some sort, and hope, and a future, and security. And they might promise those things, and they might even follow through during your lifetime. But they will never have the lasting benefit and value of the promises that you received at your baptism. They will never have the lasting benefit and value of the promises that you recited and you remembered in your catechism studies. They will never have the blessing and benefit that your neighbor needs to hear. You see, I was talking about this um, this last Friday, and it's, uh, it's kind of been an ongoing topic, at least for me, to, to think about um, You know, when I'm, when I'm kind of daydreaming about ministry. <laughs> This idea of that there are 1,200 churches, congregations in our church body. But that when we came here, when the Hagans moved to Toledo, Desiree and I both said that that's, that this place and these people are, are different. And maybe it was just a mixture of um, us having lived in another part of the country living out east a little bit more and recognizing that this place has very familiar mindsets and approach to life but I think it was more than that and so over the last um you know month or two I've I've thought about what is it that makes resurrection unique resurrection and not not talking about doctrine such as you know, justification by faith through grace, given to us through the means of grace. That is something that, God willing, every church and every wisconsin synod church teaches and preaches and believes. But what is it about the people here, the, the, the values, the, the beliefs, the mindset, that is different from what we have experienced elsewhere? I mean, thinking of my own personal experience, thinking of um, growing up in a town that had a dozen churches within within 15 minutes, and I've served in a couple of churches in Canada, a couple of churches in Minnesota. Um, I've attended, you know, at least at least a dozen different churches over my lifetime. But that this place is different, and the first thing that came to mind was that the people here at least have a deep-seated understanding. Of the way that Jesus talks in our gospel lesson that and I've seen it and I've heard it and I've witnessed it and we don't want to lose this attitude of of optimism of Christian optimism that doesn't say oh no the sky is falling and we've got 14% vacancy rate um, and and where are all the pastors gonna come from no Christian optimism that says we've got the word of life now and we live at the edge of this city of, you know, a quarter million people within, within reasonable driving distance. And of that quarter million people, the majority of them will at least listen to you when you talk about church. That we've got an incredible opportunity, um, even, as, even as we, and especially as we merge together with a couple of other churches here in the Toledo area, we've got a, an incredible opportunity to say, how can we bring the word of life to somebody new? and somebody else. Because that's the exact same point that um, three years ago when when John Hine was addressing that vacancy rate. The fact that, you know, 14 out of 100 churches are missing a pastor. And he spoke to our city convention about it and he said, you know what? We're all worried about, about the fact that we don't have enough pastors right now and it's true. Pray that the Lord of the harvest sends workers into his harvest field. But his... Analysis was to say, well, give it a generation and that'll work itself out. But if your grandkids, or I guess in our case, um, if Joel wanted to be a pastor, the bigger question is, will we have a church for him? A pulpit for him to serve in? Because so few of our churches... So many of our churches, I suppose, had been infected with that, that spirit of defeat and pessimism. And his approach was to say, you know what, maybe, it is, maybe there is a time and a place for churches to, to join their members and join their forces and plan some ministry and start something new. That the greater consideration isn't how do we shuffle our passages around to fill each vacancy just long enough so that we keep what we have. The greater consideration is to say how do we work together with the people that we have so that maybe in, you know, three, five, eight years we have another congregation in an area that can bring this word of Jesus to to an entirely new group of people. And maybe it starts by sending the 72 instead of the 12. Maybe it starts by the people of God saying, what's the the one thing that I can do, if nothing else? What's one simple thing that I can do so that somebody I haven't met yet is somebody that I will see forever in heaven? What's the one simple thing that I can do so that the ministry of Jesus is supported in this place so that we can extend it and start something new in another place? And I would say there's at least two simple things you can do. (laughs) Jesus kind of talks about at least one of them today. The first is is prayer, yes. Ask that the Lord of the Harvest sends more workers. And ask that the Lord of the Harvest blesses the work of his church here. So that we can work together. And keep this sense of God-given optimism that says, you know what, even though, even though things have changed over the last five years or 25 years or 45 years, even though things have changed and perhaps shifted around, uh, that was never a surprise to the Lord of the church. But the Lord of the church has promised that his powerful word still works to create faith, to bring people into his kingdom. And so ask, not just that the Lord of the church send out workers into his harvest field, but that the Lord of the church gives us a spirit of unity and optimism to say that, you know what, there are people that, that need to hear this truth. There are people that, you know, even in the Toledo area, um, that will be worshiping with us soon as Hosanna emerges with us. And the challenge of, of unity and that optimism might become even greater. I don't know. But the reality is that his word still works. And he has still given us time. He's still given us time, not just because Pastor Hagen returned one call, and we'll hear about the other one next week, but he's still given us time because you and I are still living and breathing and have neighbors who need to hear this truth. And when Jesus wants to start a church, he doesn't just send the 12 who were called into the public ministry. But he asked the 72. And I suppose if I were to put that into my own words I know I've said this before and he sends the two, the, the 72, saying, "Who do you know that your pastor should know?" He sends the 72 saying, "What are the words that you need, and what is the truth that you need so that you can speak to your friend or your neighbor?" Because Jesus still wants to build a church. And friends, that's every reason to speak and to have optimism about his work here. Amen.